When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on hosting etiquette for those with long-term guests, addressing letters to a couple with a name that includes a suffix, finding a happy medium with the thermostat, and writing a thank you for an ambiguous gift. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about keeping up a relationship when you can't offer up your home to entertain. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment where we discuss what it is we haven't been discussing. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Hey, cuz. How's it going? It's going well. I'm, I feel like we need to paint the image for our audience that the two of us are sitting in our little little cold Vermont houses. Oh, with... It's a little cruel. That's a little cruel. <laughs> it was the lap blankets that we both decided to pause starting to go get and sit with little blankets on our laps that made me then go, oh, goodness, we're getting old. We're getting old and cold in Vermont. I was going to say, are we getting old or is it getting cold or a little of both? <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, so that's that's the image today, audience. It's a brisk 30-something degrees out, 32 degrees out. <laughs> Nothing like a um, very soft, like, alpaca wool <laughs> lap blanket. <laughs> you lead a nice life, cuz. You need a nice life. I like it. Um, I think that's a good way to look at it. Like, yay, I get to curl up in this. Not like, ooh, but if I just put this on, I don't have to turn the heat up. Okay, so I love it's my still fall October. wardrobe. I don't, it's the fall yeah. wardrobe. It's just the best. <laughs> I'm wearing a cardigan, too. A cardigan. I've been waiting all summer for this. <laughs> I totally have on, like, the flannel and the, the sweater over it. It's, it's, it's keep warm time, for sure. And for those of you in warmer states, we hope you're keeping cool. Um, yay, yay for our show today. You had something you wanted to talk about this morning. Well, I don't know if it was the intro per se where I wanted to talk about it, but <laughs> but it's fair. We can do it here. Let's go. Okay. okay. Um, you would be doing some work on the uh, – it was a chapter of the book about uh, sort of how you present yourself. Um, yeah. Maybe once upon a time we thought of it as image and attire. Now I think we think of it a little more broadly, like your personal brand or your the, the story about yourself that you want to tell. And sure. you were saying, boy, how, like, what is it? What if, this is what I've got in my table of contents. What, what, what else would go in here? Just like help me like start to map it a little bit and – my great contribution, bow, bow, thank you, thank you, was some of the things that affect your image that aren't the clothes you wear, but your your actions. And I'm thinking not like the choices you make as much as those unconscious gestures, your posture, um, nervous habits, things mm-hmm. like your tone of voice or the, the quality of your voice. Uh, all of these things that come together. <laughs> and then he listed among the items. What was it? <laughs> among the nervous habits or sort of unconscious actions that you would want to be aware of, the yawn emerged again <laughs> as a, a point where, let's say, your and my etiquette advice, there's a, there's a little wiggle room between them. <laughs> It was fun to to reopen this wound between us. That it was where we in started the show. One, excuse me. Yeah, 
And it's so so for those who either haven't gone back and listened to to episode one in a while or or just want a refresher, Dan and I differ on yawning because basically I think that the the point that we contend over is how much you can control it. I think that's fair. That if it's happening and I didn't even want to say the thing that we actually looked up because I don't even think that's it. I think it's how much you can control it. The point of contention that we got to in this afternoon of etiquette geeking out was when it came to, yeah, whether or not you can stifle a yawn, control a yawn, or whether it is an involuntary action and something you just simply have to excuse when it happens. And we you did, we did start comparing yawns to passing gas and whether or not that was involuntary or voluntary. And then we just started hitting Google. And tell them what we found out about yawning as a voluntary or involuntary act. What we discovered is that a cursory internet search – I'm going to call it cursory because I want to deep dive this this at some point. This is basic, guys. Basic. That yawning was described as an involuntary action. And the degree to which you have control over something that's defined as involuntary – I would acknowledge that it being defined as such probably puts a little more weight on the Lizzie side (laughs) of the scale. Thank you for saying something. Wow. I'm going to write so much later today just because of that confidence that you just instilled. No, I will not rub this in anybody's faces. I still think it's really rude to yawn at somebody. I've got to say agree. It. I'm there. No, <laughs> and I'm holding I, but, there. <laughs> but I agree that, that the big gaping yawn and just like talk, trying to talk through it a ton as if someone's going to understand you. I am totally there with you because in terms of that. But I do think there are times just when you're hanging out and a, a yawn creeps up on you. And th- I think the degree to which you mask it and cover it up is is going to vary based on formality. But I think it might be really hard for some people to completely be able to let one pass without showing any tension or tweak on their face. You know, I mean, the act of it alone pulls it. Oh, gosh, now my anatomy is failing me. Um, but something around your ears, because you do that, you know, you try to they say try to yawn to pop your ears if they're ever plugged, that kind of stuff, you know. And I just feel like that's got to show some little twitch on your face, like probably shows. But I do think covering your mouth would be an option. Yeah. Yes. And this is where I'm going <laughs> to. Can we agree there? <laughs> yes. And I'm going to keep holding my life. Just, I, I just think there are ways. You work on describing it and I'll work on practicing your descriptions. How's that? <laughs> I, I, I like it. And it's more sort of circumstantial situational. And and I think that the, totally. the idea of like what precedes the involuntary, whatever whatever the trigger is that causes that involuntary action. Yeah. That if. As the as the stakes go higher, I'm going to try to be in a place, whether it's mentally or physically, where whatever mm-hmm. it is that pushes that involuntary action isn't happening. So if I've got that big <laughs> meeting with my boss, it's like even if I stayed up all night prepping my materials. And you're super tired. You feel the yawn coming on. Maybe someone else in the room yawned. And we did learn that there is a phenomenon, a real phenomenon yep. about yawning being contagious and that that then plays into your social awareness, which was interesting. The social nature of the yawn was also confirmed by our cursory research, which was yep. <laughs> Awesome. By the way, cursory research, Wikipedia, just saying. <laughs> like, But no, you're right. It's depending on where I am and the type of situation I am, I think how far I take it or the degree that I try to hide it, stifle it, is going to change for sure. I'll concede that. Or if you're in a place where you're you're just feeling tired, you're in that place where the yawn might come, like do the other thing, like get your brain going so that or get your body sitting up straight or oh, I thought you were gonna say excuse yourself. Or excuse <laughs> like... yourself. If you're really not to the point where you can keep your focus, attention like sort of in the room, um you might not be able to excuse yourself. But that that I try to keep that moment from arriving where the yawn is unavoidable. And <laughs> ooh, it's it's one of those ones. It's involuntary. <laughs> you don't know when it's going to happen. Yawning in the pinky, 321 <laughs> episodes later. And we're still delighting in this topic. That was a, it was a fun afternoon though. Audience, I, I wish I wish you could have seen it. <laughs> We also did discover that passing gas is both voluntary and involuntary. So work on that. Well, okay. (laughs) 
Before we go down this road too much further. Um, no, we're done. We're done on the topic for now. Should we get to some questions? <laughs> I think questions. This is such a good time to transition to some questions. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com, leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND, that's 802-858-5463, or you can reach us on social media. On Twitter, we're at emilypostinst, that's I-N-S-T. On Instagram, we're at emilypostinstitute, and on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your social media posts so we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question this week is about a long-haul guest. Hello, Awesome Etiquette. My mother-in-law has moved into our guest bedroom and will be with us for the next two to six months. We're a young couple in a home with one guest bedroom, hers, one kitchen, and we all three working from home. While there are too many questions I would like to ask, the heart of them is, how long, or how in general, do I go about the host-guest dance for an extended-stay guest? Things that would be brushed off for a weekend guest, leaving the toilet lit up, late and loud phone calls, are piling up on me since this has been ongoing and will remain ongoing for a few more months. We have done hosty things, such as giving her the prime garage parking spot, giving her the best room to work from home in, converting a corner of our basement into her puzzle spot, adjusting our regular meals to be mindful of her tastes, etc., I feel as if I'm giving the effort of a host, but this cannot be sustained over the course of months. She has a very pleasant, positive demeanor, and common manners are something that have never been on her radar. I mean this in a positive way, but she lives in la-la land most of the time. If she knew I would prefer the toilet lid shut or her phone calls to please stop by 10, she would gladly do so, but I do not want to hurt her feelings by bringing up her actions now. I wish things would have maybe been addressed prior to her moving in. My husband, her son, is aware of these issues and has taken the stance of, it is only temporary. I wish I had his serenity. Any advice is appreciated. Best, Christina. Christina, oh, this is a really good situation for you to be thinking about. And and don't feel badly about being like, "Eh, two to six months sounds like a long time to host. My granny Pat on my mom's side of the family, who's kind of like in our world, my, my little post world is like infamous for being the stickler for manners. 
She would tell the kids that would come stay the night. Night one, you're a guest. Night two, you're family. <laughs> like the first time you stay with us, you're a guest. After that, you're family. Yeah. You do the dishes. You help put things on the table. You know, you don't have to vacuum the carpet, but. Obviously a little harder when the person that you're dealing with this with is your mother-in-law and you are trying to create a welcoming space for her. But honestly, listening to the list you just listed off to say list again, you've done plenty here. I think you have set this person up to be really welcome for the time that they are going to have to be in a stranger's home. That's one thing I always try to keep at the forefront is just this person has been displaced from their home for a bit, whether that's mm-hmm. because they're switching homes or their home wasn't tenable for a while. It's it's a displaced feeling, and it, it can be awkward to know how much to lean in. And someone who's presenting a lot of very beautiful um, hosting options to you, you might lean into that because you're going to the trouble to do it for her. You know what I mean? I could just see truthfully wanting to sit down as as a group like a few more weeks in or something and say, now that we know about how long this is going to be, because you did say that it had potential to be like two months to six months. Um, if you know more or if this is a good time to check in because everyone's now been living together for two or three, four weeks – Use that as that that timeline as your reason to get together and say, we want to think about how this is going to function as a long-term arrangement. And that gives you a chance to bring things up and to ask her if she has any thoughts on how the three of you can work and live together well and feel like everyone is really participating and feeling good about it. I love that idea of a check-in. That's my meeting. answer. It's so good. <laughs> Okay, because it would to me that makes perfect sense if everything was going beautifully having a check-in meeting would be great to say oh this is just really going just smoothly case. and it would give someone a chance to say i so appreciate having a place to do my puzzles or having a, a spot in the garage that's easy for that me it maybe it's easy. attached yeah, to the exactly. house or something um but I, I, I love that idea of a broad check-in meeting where everything's on the table where you can talk about the good the bad and the ugly. That advice comes straight out of the how do you work this life thing book that we discontinued. <laughs> and it, it makes a lot of sense because this is a new arrangement and, and you just you just don't know. There might be some things on her list too. And if you really approach it like that, I think that the, 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 the conversation can be a very natural one. I was thinking a little bit about your transition, night one, you're a guest, night two, your family. That transition also <laughs> is much easier when everyone's family that, yeah. y- you know, you might you might hang on to the formality of that host guest role and dance longer with someone that you mm-hmm. don't know as well or a first visit. Um, but for an extended stay like this, I want to extend the, the, the metaphor, or the idea of the host guest dance, but it changes over the course of the night as the tunes change or the calls change. And. This is definitely one of those circumstances where for everyone's sake, you want to be sure that you've, you've reached some accommodation. The only addition that I would make is go into that meeting prepared to ask for a few things or go into that discussion um, and think about a couple of things that would make a big difference for you. That there is going to be some natural disruption bringing a whole other sort of fully functioning yeah. person into a smaller living space. And while you might not be able to fix everything, if you could – if you could work out something about just maybe the late night phone calls and the toilet seat or the dishes in the sink or the, 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 the two or three things that would really make your life easier, I think it's really reasonable to have a couple asks like that of a long-term house guest. Absolutely. And I really like your idea of prioritizing too because you're right. You don't want to just lump everything on and be like, okay, here's – you know, here's how, how we deal. I like, just don't know if I'm going to make like, it. It's all piling up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But I do think that having uh, for yourself, knowing what the things that are really bothering you and that need to change or the things that are just a little bit like a little inconvenience or getting used to having someone else around, I think it's good to prioritize it and then pick a few that really will make a difference for you and, and try to see if you can get some commitment um, and some compromise on on those few things. And then... You can, you know, talk again later, maybe chip chip away at some of the other ones, one or two at a time. You know what I mean? It's take your time with it. But also it is important to be prepared to, to hear things in return. And I would discuss it with my, my partner too. I, I would probably feel comfortable doing that first before addressing it all just so that they know the page that I'm on too. Not that you can't be independent within a relationship, but just I think that's, I don't know, I, w- I would feel comfortable doing that. Christina, 
we want to applaud you for making the effort. We know that a lot of people are dealing with situations like this right now. And we appreciate the question, having an opportunity to talk a little bit about some of the difficulties and hopefully some of the ways you might work through them. Everywhere you go, your manners are with you, and they leave their mark. They help you feel sure of yourself, too, and they make an impression on people, on everyone you meet. We could listen in on Gene's thoughts, for example, but, well, you take it from here. next question is about addressing a couple with a suffix on a business letter. Hi, I'm hoping that you can help me with a question that I didn't see answered on your website or any others that I would consider authoritative. And I I just want to say thank you for considering us authoritative. How do we address business letters to a husband and wife when the husband has a junior or a third after his name and we want to use the wife's first name? Then, how would we list them in the salutation? And then uh, Celeste, who this is written by, has a um, sample. So the sample reads, would it be, on the first line, Susan and James Johnson III. On the next line, the street address followed by the town, state, and zip code. And then the salutation being, dear Mrs. and Mr. Johnson. Or is it something else? Thank you, Celeste. <laughs> Dan, this is a, always a tricky one to do via podcast. But what do you think about this one? This is this is some of the trickier, nittier, grittier etiquette stuff. It really is. This is a where tradition meets practicality meets personal identity, and there is a lot going on. It's good etiquette to pay attention to. Um, let's parse it and break it down in terms of the details of the the address and the salutation. But before we do that, I want to give a great big piece of advice about addressing people in general, which is that you always want to um, take your cue from the person themselves. So my my first piece of advice, and this is in our Etiquette Advantage in Business book, when you, you go to the section and look at addressing a business letter, we recommend that you look for some letterhead that you've received from them or a letter that you've received from them or an annual report from their business or – um, something where they identify themselves professionally and you take your cues from them. So sometimes a little bit of detective work can answer this question definitively in a way that the rules of etiquette could never. This might even be like their email signature might might be enough to do it. There you, you know? go. A business card, you know? <laughs> yes. It, it's And it's a thousand percent acceptable to call and ask. And it's mm-hmm. it's not being deceptive to call their office and ask someone who's an office manager how to address a letter to this person or this couple. And they'll help you out with it. It, it, it shows respect to take that care. It doesn't show that you don't know what you're doing. I was going to say, and though today we do have a lot of people who uh, clearly this is a husband and wife team and we don't know if they are the only people that work at their business if there is a re- reception place to call or a man- office yeah. manager to call you know it can it can sometimes be really hard when you go to search in those spaces and they draw a blank but they are 100% from from traditional days to now, uh, still the things to do. It's to pay attention to the people that you're reaching out to and see what you can find out, especially if this is a starter conversation, see what you can find out ahead of time so that you start off on that right foot. But if this is a relationship that you've built and now you're adding this, oh, I've got to send them something and it's a business letter, so now I really want to put it in that business format, you might do a little detective work and and see the materials that you've already exchanged and received. And if you have to, you also can just simply call up, in this case, our Susan and, and James couple and ask them and say, hey, listen, we've got some stuff we want to send you and we're all about doing it right. Would you mind letting us know what titles you use or, you know, whether or not you use the third in your name, those sorts of things. There's there's nothing wrong with doing that either. Absolutely. But we also want to give you our best possible answer based on the traditional air quotes around rules of etiquette. Well, and for this specific situation, which might be stepping a little outside of the traditional box a little bit. Just a little. Be, although 
I would say it's a pretty contemporary approach. It's a very contemporary approach. <laughs> Audience, we recently heard from someone in a feedback uh, on a recent episode that they do this very well and that that nobody bats their eyelashes twice at it. So I think that that we're 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 watching something that was traditional morph a little bit. But let's get to the specifics so our audience knows what we're talking about. Dan, what do you think about the, the basics of this? We're looking at um, the address on the inside of a letter. Yep. So give us a little structure, business letter structure, to put people in the right mind frame. So this is the address that appears at the top of the page when you're doing a business letter, and it's a repetition of the address of the recipient who's going to be receiving the letter. So if you think about you know something arrives in an office, it gets opened. It's no longer with the envelope that sent it. Right on the top of that document – is the intended recipient, their address, their information. It's really useful. It's really practical. And it's a, a, a nice way to start to build a formal tone to a business correspondence also. It starts to give a letter some real structure on the page. So there's that top address and then below it a few spaces um, on its own line, you get a second salutation that sort of directly addresses the person or people who are meant to be the recipients of the letter. So there's an address at the top that's really sort of de defining for the whole thing. And then there's actually a personal salutation, essentially your beginning of the message where you acknowledge the person who you're talking to. Most formally, that salutation begins with dear. So if you're trying to imagine a letter, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. the salutation is the dear and then in more formal circumstances, courtesy title, full name, um, in more informal circumstances, just someone's name. Um, so let's start with the top of that address line at the very top of the letter. The, the, the first and second line are the name and maybe professional title or um, name of the company. And then you get the, the physical address, the mailing address that follows. But the question here is really about that name top line and whether or not and how to include information about position at the business and the company that they work for. So for this first line, we're looking at a, cu a couple different things that might end up in this space, but we're also looking at it for two people, for two people who happen to be married. And if we're going on the, on the, on the desire where it says we want to use the wife's first name, first I just want to say make sure the wife wants you to use her first name, that that's, that is her preference. We do still see a lot of women divided on that one. But if you know that that's her preference and, and that she prefers to go by Mrs. Susan Johnson or Ms. Susan Johnson, I would, I would get that right and I would use her name as a single unit then followed by and Mr. James Johnson, you know, the third. When it comes to the, the business title and business name that typically follow, it's a when required kind of situation. Dan, when would you think of it as being required and when would you think of it as something you could drop off and leave off and not deal with? <laughs> I think of it as a requirement requirement. So if mm -hmm. I know the position that someone works at at a company and the name of the mm -hmm. company, I include it. And okay. Um, oftentimes that's in the signature of an email. That's mm -hmm. oftentimes something you can just grab. Um, mm -hmm. This is a business letter, but we don't necessarily know if it's being sent to a, to a formal business entity. It might be entirely possible this is a business letter that's going to a couple that don't necessarily have – an incorporated business around them or like a lot of a lot of formal formalness around it. it exactly we're not exactly sure of the nature of the business or the relationship between everybody it's entirely possible they don't have titles within that business or very true sort very of true. descriptions of their roles and those would be again relatively easy to find and if i was Responding to an individual, it would be very simple. The The courtesy title would be included, Mr. or Mrs. or Ms. or Mix. And then mm -hmm. you would follow that with their full name. Then there would be a comma. You'd have their position. There would be another comma. And you'd have the name of the company spelled 
correctly. Um, exactly. Exactly, I think is the way we describe it in the book. With all the mashups and capitalizations and and punctuations in, in and creative places. INC periods at the end. Like, you really include all of that. You know, it's a formal address. You're acknowledging their position. You're naming their company in a way that is how they've named themselves. So you're... Let me ask you something. This is yeah. a couple, and so they are married, and typically on any um, any space where we'd be addressing them, including an in, in inner um, – on the actual letter itself like this, you would typically make sure that they are on the same line to indicate that they are married. Yep. If especially if we're not doing Mrs. Husband's last name, which is a real big indication that they're married, or husband's first name uh, is a real big indication of the marriage. But here in a business – if you were going to add the business title and the business's name to both addressees, would you stat would you separate them and stack them, or does that? It's like I can't decide here. Social business, yep. social business. <laughs> no, it, it, that that frankly, that would be a tougher call for me. If I okay. knew their positions, I knew they both both worked at a company. In some ways, I'd be tempted to treat them as autonomous individuals within that organization, and so stack. In that case, I would stack them. Um, and mm-hmm. I'm, the the number of instances where you would send the same letter to multiple parties, I, I can think of enough instances where I think it's a reasonable template to have in your mind, those, those mm-hmm. stacked names. Um, but I'm also going to lean back into the sort of social side of business here. And, <laughs> yeah. and I, I do want to honor that relationship, that marriage. And mm-hmm. if you're Intent is to address them as a couple in their capacity as a couple, not as individuals working for a business. Then I think having them on the same line makes the most sense and it's the most coherent Mm -hmm. way to approach it in a lot of ways in terms of even the impression that you're trying to create on the other end. Mm And I do think that if you're not using that business title and business name, if if it's not at that level of formality, that keeping them on the same line it doesn't seem to do much harm in from my perspective. No. The, the major difference between the answer that we just gave and the sample that Celeste included is that you absolutely want to use those courtesy titles. and mm-hmm. In this space, yeah. yeah. And I will yeah. confess, in doing the research for this question – um, I, I was unsure about that, and when I looked it up, it, it's it's very clear. You want to use those courtesy titles, and the confession is that I, I write a lot of business letters, and I don't always use them. I wasn't entirely – Self-reflection um, and learning and moving. Yay, Dan. <laughs> accurate in terms of how I've been doing this myself. So I, I, I appreciated the, the sort of push to get down into the weeds and the details of this. The question I asked you, Lizzie Post, that I thought you had a really good answer for is what's the difference between Mrs. Susan Johnson and Mr. James Johnson III and a shortened version of that, which is Mrs. Susan and Mr. James Johnson III? And your answer made a lot of sense to me. I, I was hoping you would also share that with our with our audience. Yeah, you would never choose to use a formal title, a formal courtesy title like a Mrs. with just a person's first name. You're you're using the title to be formal, and last names are what's formal. One might say that Mrs. Susan Johnson it, it t- technically is formal. I mean. It's. I'm going to call it. It's new traditional formal. It's new traditional that, formal. It's new I, traditional formal. Oh gosh, everyone in the stationary world is just going to come after us with pitchforks, or they'll be very relieved. I think two. relieved. But <laughs> way to put the positive on it, Dan. Um, okay. So the but the idea is that if we're going formal, we don't drop someone's last name. The last name is the formal version. The informal is to be invited to use somebody's first name. So it's it's like leaving off the formality of her name. It's like you start with it and then it just drops. Mrs. Susan. There is no Mrs. Susan. There's a Mrs. Susan Johnson or there's a Mrs. James Johnson, but there isn't just a Mrs. Susan. She has a last name, especially if we're going to be using it with her husband's. For for me, this is where when it's the joining of them, and as Dan said, that was an example to try to shorten it, to try to join it up more and instead, you really end up leaving her out of it or, or sort of deformalizing her. I mean, really, it's just confusing. Mrs. Susan doesn't work. But when you do the shortening of it, you you don't want to, like, just leave someone out somehow, I feel like. 
Why wouldn't it be Mrs. Susan and Mr. James the Third? You know, or Mr. James the Third and Mrs. Susan. <laughs> No. Well, and I don't have a good answer to that. It's why I bought the answer you gave me and really appreciated <laughs> hearing it because it makes perfect sense to me in all of my sort of the, the way I keep track of etiquette hierarchies and formalities. There was a lot of logic to that answer, frankly. And there is a whole thing that someone must be thinking about it right now. The Miss Susan, we hear that a lot, especially more in the South, but that Miss Susan would be a way to affectionately address an adult that you knew, especially if you were someone younger. It's it's not the only way that dynamic works. Like that's common, but you wouldn't you wouldn't be using that in a formal business letter or in in a business letter typically anyway. So that's that's just another one that would drop off, but you wouldn't you would not write that or use that in this type of situation. Let me ask you one more question just so we cover all sure. of our bases in this answer. Okay. And it's a long answer. I appreciate you guys sticking with us. It's a lot to mentally put in place as you, you mix things around and try different versions. Um, give me the option for the top line address line if Susan decided to use her husband's name um, formally. So – how would you address this if she did take her husband's full name and use it? So if she did use her husband's first name, then it would be fairly simple, Mr. and Mrs. James Johnson III. Excellent. <laughs> relatively simple. <laughs> relatively simple. Relatively simple. But the main idea here is that because she doesn't, we're separating out the two people so that you're not trying to connect them and you just let let her be, in this particular case, Mrs. Susan Johnson and let him be Mr. James Johnson III. Excellent. That's relatively simple, although I, I feel like we see a lot <laughs> less of it these days. We parsed out a lot to get there, but we hope, Celeste, that that part at least is clear when it comes to the, the address address on the inside of the letter. But then there's a salutation, right? There is. And I mean, having done all the work to get the names and titles right on the address, the salutation should follow relatively simply. No, you're absolutely right. It's basically the same thing you've listed up above, but just with the word dear in front of it. It's a, but it, however, though, I will say this. It's a general guideline that you salute a person in a business letter with the same name form that you would use in person. So in this case, the, the letter would start off, Dear Mrs. Susan Johnson and Mr. James Johnson III. Or if you are on good terms with them, close terms with them, casual terms with them, less formal terms with them, <laughs> any of those terms, you end up being Dear Susan and James or Dear James and Susan. Either name may come first. Well, once again, excellent. And I also just have to say, excellent, Celeste. Thank you so much for this question. I learned something. I will be a better business letter writer because of it. Thanks a lot, Celeste. You know, writing letters is just a talent. Some people are born with it, some aren't. <laughs> I'm glad you appreciated my help. Our next question is about heaters and happy mediums. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I have a bit of an etiquette dilemma that I would love your help with. Growing up, my parents believed, in typical New England, upstate New York fashion, hey. that if you were cold in the winter, you put on a sweater or grab another <laughs> blanket instead of cranking up the heat because it builds character and heat was expensive. Were we not just talking about this in the intro? <laughs> this was, And that intro was not a setup for this question, I promise. No, I did not know that this is how this one started out. That's great. Clearly, we, we feel you with our little lap blankets that we're both cozying up in right now. <laughs> Returning to the question. As such, our house was always on the cooler side through the winter. And as I naturally run warm, this did not bother me. Now that I am an adult with my own house, I still go by this grab-a-sweater mentality. When I have guests over, I will turn the heat up to a level that feels comfortable without feeling like you're in the tropics. But for some people, this is still a lot cooler than what they're used to. For reference, some of my friends and I are comfortable in the low to mid-60s, but many of my friends keep their houses in the mid to upper 70s. And I will do my best to split the difference to accommodate everyone. When I go to someone's house, I often dress in light layers so I can be comfortable and have advised friends before they come to my house that I keep it on the cooler side so they can dress accordingly. But even with that advice, I will still have some friends complain that it's too cold and will turn the thermostat higher when I leave the room for something, often leaving me and other guests sweating. I do my best to accommodate everyone and keep many blankets and extra sweaters handy if anyone feels chilly. But is there something different that I should be doing as the host? 
is there a better way to handle guests who like different temperatures than what the thermostat is set at by the host? I look forward to hearing your thoughts. Sincerely, Michael, a.k.a. cool but content in Connecticut. <laughs> That's cute. No, I think you're doing all the right things. And I don't think guests who turn up the heat when you're not looking are good, by the way. I just want to put that out there. That's like not good guest behavior. And I do I do think you keep extra sweaters on hand. You already try to split the difference between those kind of mid to high 70s and the low 60s. I'm guessing a nice comfortable 68 might be what you keep it at during a party. Maybe, maybe not. But to to me, it doesn't sound like there's a whole lot else you can do other than do something like light a fire for people to sit near and be warmer if they're truly cold. You know what I mean? Like, or a, I'd hate to advise like a space heater, but you know what I mean? Like that, those are the kinds of things that come to mind that weren't listed here. But that's it. Like I would remember at Mud and Poppy's house, which would get really warm when the fire would get going. And so people who were cold would hang out near the fire and people who were warm would go hang out in the other room, you know? It's one of the nice things about a fireplace or a a heat source (laughs) as opposed to a a forced air system or something like that. I agree a thousand percent, LP. I'm hearing all of the good hosting things that would make sort of good advice as an answer to Mm -hmm. a question like this. I love the fact that Michael is already adjusting the temperature based on guests, that there's enough Mm -hmm. self-awareness to realize that – Low 60s, mid 60s even feels chilly to a lot of people and that the willingness to sort of change your baseline for the sake of others, to me, that's that's really good behavior. And I appreciate the specificity of the question. I appreciate hearing the actual temperature ranges because that tells me that, yeah, no, that's that's kind of a moderate range. That's not a Scrooge McDuck. Can I have another lump of coal (laughs) kind of temperature for a house (laughs) Um, where – I think a guest could feel a little aggrieved. Although if you're setting your house at 78 and someone else is setting there, but you walk into a place that's set at like 62, you might kind of feel like that. Well, and and I'm that person. I I like my house in the mid-70s and up. And so sort of being that person that feels a little chilled, even in a house in the 60s, I'm well aware that if we're talking the high 60s, it's up to me to bring that extra layer. Yeah, No, that's a good way to think of it. I I also like the way that Michael talks about how, as a guest, he plans on this. He knows I tend to like it cooler. Most people don't like their house as cold as mine. So I'm probably going to feel warm when I go somewhere else. I'm going to wear lighter layers or be prepared to wear something that I can remove so that it's easier um, to self-regulate. I I love that. But at some point, you do just run into the the stop of like you, you can only do so many things, right? Absolutely. That's, I mean, that's my perspective on it. Keep those extra blankets and sweaters around. Offer them to people. I, I, I really – in some ways I like this question because it's such an example of good etiquette. And I think you're right. There, there is a certain um, reality that you run up against, which is that people feel comfortable at different temperatures. Michael, cool but content in Connecticut. Thanks for the question. Keep it cool or warm or cool warm. (laughs) You keep it how you like it. Yes, everywhere you go, people talk about thoughtfulness. Well, just what does thoughtfulness mean? How does it fit into your everyday life? Our next question is curiously titled Ambiguous Teapot. Lizzie and Dan, in the past couple of months, my new wife and I both moved into our first house and got married. Somewhere between those two events, my mother visited our house to see it. She brought us a plate of cookies and a teapot. The problem is that we aren't sure if the teapot was a housewarming gift or a wedding gift. We had our wedding over Zoom, so several local guests gave us wedding gifts in person in the months leading up to the wedding. There was no card attached to the gift, and the wrapping gave no indication either way. She gave no other gift that may have been a wedding gift. I feel that it might be rude to ask if the teapot was a wedding gift because it might come across as ungrateful. In the thank you card, should I refer to it as a housewarming gift or a wedding gift? Thank you. Thankful but confused. It's a good question. It's a great question. Thankful but confused. And I'm going to give you the absolute shortest version of my answer first, which is that I would disassemble and just refer to it as your generous gift. I have 
same dodge moment. I was like, you can dodge this by just taking out the identifier. You really can. <laughs> and the reason that I think it's a good option is that, like our question asker alludes to, it's um, potentially uh, sort of a little offensive to ask if it was a wedding gift if it wasn't intended as a wedding gift. It essentially points out that no wedding gift was given. I like knowing that there was a Zoom wedding that happened because it's entirely possible that someone who attended a Zoom wedding isn't feeling the obligation to give a gift to or isn't gift. thinking yeah. of that in the same way that they would have if they had been at the ceremony and reception in person. And I, I don't even want to comment on that assumption, but I think mm -hmm. that it's possible enough that, that that's what happened that I wouldn't want to sort of probe too much if if the answer could be awkward. And I think you can express your gratitude. You can express your thanks wholly and genuinely for the gift as it was delivered, which was a little ambiguous. And you could even you could even mention both those things. I'm thinking of sample language that's like, Thank you so much for the teapot. We love it. And how wonderful to use it in our new home celebrating our new marriage. Like, you know, you could you could toss it in both You're to so be like, this is this is just such cause. a great gift all around. It's it's wonderful at this celebratory time in our lives. Thankful but confused, we want to say congratulations on all these awesome life changes. The moving in, the new home, the marriage. It all sounds wonderful and fun. And we hope you enjoy many a good cup of tea during it all. But we hope that this answer leaves you a little less confused. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, and we hope you do, please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for your support. It means the world to us. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today we're hearing from Jen on episode 318 and smart speakers. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I'm a big fan of the show as well as the products of the Institute. I've been gifting higher etiquette to all my friends who partake or engage with the community regularly. And the etiquette advantage in business has been a steady presence in my work life for years. I'm writing regarding the recent show opener from episode 318, where you discussed the tone of interactions with Alexa. As we're considering the implications of how we speak to an automated system, I think we should keep in mind that most digital assistants are in naming and voice feminine. There is a concern among social scientists about the move of this gendered assumption of who fills the role of assistant in our digital lives and into our homes, as it patterns this assumption onto a genderless item. With the understanding of gender expanding and becoming more visible, loved the discussion of how to handle pronouns in business in episode 315, I hope we keep this in mind. If we become comfortable using tone and language with Alexa or Siri that we might not otherwise, might we also be saying that it's appropriate to use this tone and language with those perceived as subordinate and or women in general? Thank you always for your work and your openness. It's a blessing and deeply appreciated. Jen. Yes, 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 Jen. I am so glad that you brought this up. I've heard even some interesting things about Alexa and, and whether or not you call Alexa she or not. I think it's really important that we keep up with our language and really using our courtesy language when addressing AI and, and, and devices and things like that. But I'm I'm just glad that you brought up this point and that this idea that when you stop doing that, that that's where you can start to create this, um, you know, this subordinate type relationship. And if that voice is perceived as feminine always or is always being presented to us in a feminine way, then that can create a dynamic and an association that you wouldn't want to create. Um, and I, I agree. 
Like when I do my stuff on my phone, I set it to the Australian guy voice. <laughs> um, and I don't know if there should even be a, a sound of a gender to any of these voices or of a, of a binary gender to any of these voices. But I think that it's a, it's a really interesting part of this and something to, to really keep after and think about. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next feedback, update, or question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And this week, it's going to be a pretty short Postscript, but we are going to talk about... What we haven't been talking about, and we're going to talk about it because it's really unusual that we haven't been talking about it. Dan, what the heck am I talking about? I'm guessing pretty much everyone out there knows what we're talking about that we're not talking about. If they're listening on Monday before the 2020 election in the United States, then probably yes. <laughs> it's true. And, and we know because we see this, the, the stats that the vast majority of the people that listen to this show pick it up pretty close to the date that it drops. And okay. as you point out, that would be Monday, <laughs> the Monday before a four-year election cycle Tuesday that is pretty much taking everybody's attention right now. And – it's unusual for us that there would be such a big event going on and we wouldn't be talking about it. And there is a, a quality, something that I mentioned to Lizzie Post before the show started, to working for the Emily Post Institute where you get the advantage of seeing the way things happen over years and generations. Mm -hmm. And people that listen to this show hear us talk about, oh, the holidays are coming. We can anticipate the kinds of questions we get at that time of year. We have a little running joke where we um, we look for the first media request that's about holiday or annual tipping. So at what point in the summer do you get your first request for the holiday interview topic that you're going to be talking a lot about a little later in the year? Mid-August feels early. September feels late. Like exactly. But, you know, we can kind of gauge what where the national conversation is when when questions come our way. And tell them what's been interesting about this season. There is a version of this question that we get asked pretty consistently about every two years, which is mm -hmm. how do I navigate political discussions with my family over the holidays or – how do I navigate political discussions? I really don't want to talk about it right now. Or how mm -hmm. do I navigate political discussions? I'm really passionate about something and I know someone in my life that sees things very differently than I do. Mm -hmm. And I want to know how to, how to do it or how to shut it down or any of a number of things that can come up around those tier two conversations, those potentially difficult or awkward conversations because they're about important topics. This year is so unusual for us because we have had zero requests like this. And in fact, I've even had like some producers bring the the subject matter up when they're, you know, they want to do an etiquette segment or something like that and we come up with some ideas. I said, "Well, you know, the holidays are a typical time where we talk about, uh, you know, coming together uh, as our families and friends, but sometimes that means being with people who don't share um, our point of view, and that can be difficult. And how to have the how to handle those difficult conversations at the table, and no takers, no no bites. We were we were so surprised, and I, I I won't lie, a little relieved. Sometimes it's nice to not have the same conversation, but it did get us to thinking about why this might be happening this year, and. I've got a couple theories, but Dan, do you want to do you want to dive in? And I want to get into that why, but I also want to acknowledge more immediately that we've noticed the same thing from our awesome etiquette audience. That it's true. It, this isn't something we've heard people who write into this show wanting to talk about. It's been a ton. <laughs> it's been a topic that the broad Emily Post audience and the more immediate Emily Post audiences have kind of collectively decided that they're just not going to go there or talk Ask about Ask or quiet. It's yeah, it's just it's quiet on that front this year, we've noticed. Um, but it, it did get me thinking as to why this might be. And 
And some of it, I do think, is because of this pandemic and because people are staying at home. They're not traveling for big family gatherings. They're not worried about going to that family meal and being able to tolerate their sister or their uncle or, you know, their in-law for eight hours or, or a full weekend or something like that. And so on the on the one hand, I, and I've heard this, this is anecdotally just in, in my own circles, that people are kind of just breathing that... It, as much as they would love to see people, it's also really kind of nice to not have to worry about it. I actually overheard two people talking about it at the grocery store, sort of both saying like, oh, you know, we just it's kind of nice to not think about making the three hour drive and staying the long weekend and then, you know, getting back for work on Monday. But with that, people just they aren't going to be in that conf- those confrontational situations. And with a lot of people already practicing social distancing, it just seems so much less likely that people are facing this problem right now. And I could be wrong. Maybe the workplace is a place where you do have to go in, um, even if you're masked up or something and, and you are uh, engaging in this and you are hoping that people talk about the etiquette of how to deal with difficult conversations or or really varying perspectives. But we've just been so surprised at how quiet it's been. I've, I, I, I'm surprised we've made it all the way until, you know, the day before the election and still not have had kind of big conversations about it, um, especially with the media. It's been really interesting. I'm, I'm glad you took a shot at it because your your why <laughs> is very different than the why that I had been speculating on. And I, I, I like it. It's just a, Do you think people are like too engaged or what, what's your why? I'm curious. My, my why is that I was sort of imagining to myself that the conversation just felt too serious for people, that it doesn't That's, feel – That could be very true. It doesn't feel – low consequence enough to be an etiquette topic. I think either mm-hmm. people are so engaged that that they're thinking about and approaching it in a very different way or they've really decided that they that they don't want to engage it that way or that they're going to carve out areas of their life that are that are comfortable and 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 are safe in and many confrontation ways usually isn't that area. Yeah. No, more fraught true. topics. And and in some yeah. ways that's the feeling I get from, from this show. We have heard from some people how much they appreciate um, a sanctuary space, a space where it's a good way to put it. People are really focused on how we treat each other well. And that's really the thing that we come together around. And I, I, I love that idea. I love that that's what some people get from this community. I want to support that also. Mm-hmm. But I also like your idea that, you know, maybe it's just not something that people are being faced with, and it's a, a, a practical reality quite as, as much, well. Quite as much. I think we are being faced with it in a lot of spaces, but maybe not the ones that we think of as um, social etiquette spaces. You know what I mean? Yes. I know a lot of times these postscript segments resolve to really specific tips or that we're, you know, talking about some point of, of Emily Post history or or etiquette history. But in thinking about how to handle this postscript, we realized we really just wanted to share with you that this was going on this year. Um, and that this was sort of what we tell you a lot of the happenings at, at Emily Post. And um, it's not often that we have one that's like a real wow, a whole kind of category of conversation we usually have isn't there this year. But that that's what's going on. And um, in, in a year that has been so different, it was one more thing that was different. So true, because and we will see what next year brings. For three months, all through the late summer and fall, wherever people come together, issues and men are discussed and argued about. Some feel that this isn't altogether a good thing, that a lot of time and energy are wasted this way. It may be, but that's the way Americans like to do it. They like to feel everybody has a right to speak and is interested enough to do it. Even the small fry. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we hear from Lindsay. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have a salute. I actually witnessed it while I was listening to an episode of Awesome Etiquette. Awesome. Yeah, I know. We've got a big laughing cry face emoji here. Um, I was at a busy intersection on a Saturday afternoon in Tustin, California. Tustin? Tustin? California. And I was the front car waiting at a stop. I watched a car that was kitty corner to my left back out against traffic towards the intersection. 
Admittedly, my first thought was, what the heck is that car doing? Maybe a moment later, I watched as the driver jumped out of his car and ran into the intersection to pick up some items that had fallen out of his truck bed. All cars waited while he ran to and from his car. From the opposite side of the intersection, one person got off of their motorcycle and another out of their truck to help the man out in picking up items. They all did a few back and forth through the intersection with various hardware type items while the cars waited. No one tried to jump around them, even though their light was green. I appreciate I'm, I'm also just going to interject. It also sounds like no one was honking. I appreciated the two people who helped this guy out as well as the cars that let them safely get the items. It was also a good reminder to me that I should not immediately jump to negative conclusions about people's actions. Thanks for all you do, Lindsay. Lindsay, thank you so much for this salute. And thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. And thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with your friends, family, and coworkers on social media. You can send us your next question, feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us by phone, via message, or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks Chris, Chris and Bridget. Bridget.